Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. Today we're covering Season 2, Episode 11, Sex, Birth, Death, or Death, Sex, Birth, or even Birth, Sex, Death, Sex, Birth, Death, Birth, Death, Sex, Death, Birth, Sex. (laughs) I like birth, sex, death better, <laughs> but... Me too. Um, should we do fun facts? Yeah. Here, here's my fun fact. My fun fact is uh, at work, I get an hour lunch, and I either spend that time editing our episodes of Unsubs, and recently I've been like with my phone just watching <laughs> Criminal Minds on my phone during lunch at work. With headphones and then like panicking anytime like my Bluetooth headphones become disconnected. I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. But <laughs> it's only happened one time. <laughs> so <laughs> don't need the my my coworkers to know what I'm watching. Yeah, so for some reason, and I like hate this about myself. I have become so entrenched into the subreddits of the call her daddy breakup. <laughs> so, so I am like, I, the things I don't post anything. I just lurk and read everything. But like, there are so many people who have so many strong opinions on the whole call her daddy debacle that happened over a year ago at this point. And like the trajectory of both Alex's, like, you know, continuing with call her daddy and Sophia with, Sophia with an F and so sometimes when it's slow at work I find myself looking at that on my phone and I like am so horrified that like my co-workers or like the other people at my work are gonna see what I'm looking at (laughs) it's so entertaining though is the thing I when I when I first started editing at my desk, both of the coworkers that sit right next to me asked me what I was doing, and one was like, "Oh, it looks very like technical and complicated," and I was like, "I'm editing a podcast." And they were like, "What?" And I was like, I'm "Just you know, editing your podcast." And they were like, "What?" And I was like, "I'm editing my podcast," <laughs> and they were like, "Oh," and then they haven't asked since. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Anyways. Um, oh, let's, we're, we're switching it up today, guys. We are switching it up. We are. We're not going to tell you about it until it's happening. So you just have to like keep your little ears tuned. But, um, I'll, sh- should I share the disclaimer and then you'll do the. the- yeah, let's do okay. it. All right. So, uh, disclaimer, we are not in any way, shape or form associated with criminal lines. We're just fans. Um, and we, as you all know, unless you're new here, which, hey, um, we um, we uh, we rate every episode out of 100 points and within these five categories, and each category can get up to 20 points, and those categories are the criminal or serial killer, the character development and character arps, forensics and context, script writing, and background characters. 
And before Abby gets started with the recap, I just want to point out that, yes, it's Anton Yelchin. A character of interest. Anton Yelchin is it's featured. I, I he's featured in this episode. Um, and we're super excited about it. And I'm actually going to do my deep dive on him. But um, he was pretty famous. He was in Star Trek. He was in Green Room. He was starting to become super famous. And then he died tragically. And we will talk about that. But take it away. All right, so we open in Washington, D.C., and we're coming in hot with the Pixies' Where Is My Mind, so you know it's going to be a good episode when we're using the music that closes out Fight Club. (laughs) Oh, okay. Two quick things. One, we're in sync because my note was coming in hard with the Pixies, (laughs) and you said (laughs) hot, so I appreciate that. Also, I was watching this when my husband came home from work one day, and he was like, what are you watching, Fight Club? And I was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I freaking love Fight Club, although it's been a really long time since I've watched it, but I love the book. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, I, I like the book in the movie because I recognize it's a satire. Yeah, it's just... It's got some problems, but we're not going to oh, talk for about sure. that now. We'll save that for the Patreon at some point. Anyways, I just love that we had the same comment. I love that we always say save it for the Patreon and still have yet to start a Patreon. You guys, when we do the Patreon, prepare for a mini show just <laughs> devoted to de- derails. <laughs> because that's what the Patreon will be that. And then probably us covering Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and Mindhunter. And Mindhunter. All right, I've literally only made it one sentence, so I gotta I, get got, gotta keep going. Keep going. All right. We cut between scenes of sex workers on the street, and then the computer s- screen of someone writing a story, a book, a manifesto. Who knows? <laughs> it's, it's a lot of language about the quote extermination of whores. So we know, we already know where we're going with this. We cut and we see a sex worker being attacked. Her hair is being chopped off and then being left for dead. And the unsub is on the lamb. <laughs> <laughs> and of course she's wearing a hood because they always be doing that. Cut and we see Reed leaving the Metro. And I do have to say, as a native DC gal, um, clearly they are using stock footage from somewhere else because these are not what the DC Metros look like whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I know oh what I, I know what motto when I see it. Oh my God. All right. So as uh, Goobs is running up the stairs, coffee in hand, you know, the fresh air of DC running through his curls. A kid approaches him and is like, you're Dr. Reed. And Reed is like, sorry, do I know you? And we find out that he just knows what you do. And the kid talks about how he watched Goobs give a speech. Wait, wait, about- the, kid is, the kid is Anton Yelchin. The kid is Anton Yelchin, yeah. And he's got a very husky voice for how oh, old he's so precious. But he's he's sexy. It's a I wrote that voice fucks because he's got he like he's supposed to be like a child. 
Yeah, it's like the tortured intellectual voice. But he's got a husky voice, and I'm like, oh dear God. Anyways, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, we're 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 headed for trouble. We we are headed for trouble, honey. I wonder how old he was when he shot this. Oh, how he was what was he, 27 when he died? Yeah. Oh, so maybe he was a legitimate child. He might have been like 17. I would say he was probably 17 to 19. Okay, so he's always had that sexy of a voice, and I'm a creep. Maybe, who knows? <laughs> I'm, I'm cancel me. <laughs> cancel me, I'm done. Anyways. Anyways, so he's like, sorry, dear, I knew you. And he's like, I know what you do. And then he talks about how he watched um, Dr. Reed give his speech about how they caught the Mill Creek Killer when he was giving a lecture at, I think it was Georgetown University. And uh, Goobs is like, oh, you went for fun? And he's like, "Uh, I don't have a lot of friends. And um, (laughs) I'm sorry, do that voice again. I don't have a lot of friends. Um, (laughs) I don't think I did it as well the second time, but it's okay. No, no, it was more like. I don't have a lot of friends. friends. I don't have a lot of friends. And basically we find out that he says he's a junior at Northwest High School and he has an interest in true crime. So they exchange a couple words and then he was like, so they kill a lot of prostitutes, about serial killers. And he's like, so they kill a lot of prostitutes? And Goobs is like, yeah, they're the number one target of serial killers, which is actually not exactly true, but I'll get into that later. And then this kid, again, this child, this junior in high school is like, uh, is that for sex or because they're dirty and think they need to be punished? <laughs> it's not, it's not funny, but it is. So basically, he's like, yeah, so is that for sex or because they think they're dirty and need to be punished? Yeah, we're going to say it again. And when he says this, the vibe shifts. And that's when Goobs is like, yeah, uh, were you waiting for me here? And the kid doesn't answer and instead is like, what would it mean if if somebody were stabbing them and cutting off all their hair? And Goobs is like, how about you come with me to the BAU? And he's like, oh, shit, I gotta go to school. And just, like, runs out of there and leaves Matthew Gray Gobler before he can get any information from him. So then we cut to the BAU and Goobs asks, he comes at heated and he's like, JJ, remember when Goobs wanted to go on a date with JJ? Anyways. He's like JJ. I need the number of for the of the number of Detective Barnes, who is like I guess the like head detective in the area. And he's like, and I need to ask for about any information about sex workers who have been killed in the same fashion as the kid just talked about. And they're like, what's going on? And he's like, I'm worried that DC may have a serial killer, and I just let him get away. Bum 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 bum. Title card. Anyways. And then we cut and we're in a morgue and we're looking at the body of a sex worker that we saw in the beginning and the words help are carved into her stomach with a knife. Gideon is like, maybe there was like a lot of hesitation and trepidation about what they were doing. Um, Maybe he was asking the police for help. And Gideon says that this does align with the kid that he met because this kid was actively reaching out and seeking help. 
So then we cut and Prentice and Morgan go to visit the alleys of where the sex workers work and like near where the body was found and ask if they've seen anything and learn more. And Morgan shows uh, them the sketch, the composite sketch of the kid, you know, the composite sketch that was illustrated by Matthew Gray Gobler and uh, in like real life. Um, and they say they've seen him, but he doesn't really interact with them. He just lurks around. I, I actually really appreciate that they're finally going to the sex workers because it usually takes them like 35 minutes to be like, maybe we should talk to the sex workers, like actively dealing with who could potentially be the unsub. Hotch is visited by Congresswoman Karen Steiger, 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 I don't fucking know. And I think it's Steyer. It's, it's Steyer. Steyer. And she asks that if the BAU stays on the case of there being a potential serial killer in D.C., that they don't publicize this case. But Hotch is like, I can't promise that. And she decides to respond with a threat and is like, she might not informally invite them onto the case, um, which means that they can't actually work on it because she has to formally invite the BAU to help on a case for them to actually be allowed to do anything. So he's like, but I can't promise that. And she's like, but if, you know, I don't want this to be publicized because she introduced a bill to reduce crime in the area. And basically the press would make her look bad. So, you know, bureaucracy. So she threatens him again and then tries to flatter him and then leaves. And Hodge watches as she leaves and then she's like giving Prentice a hug and like, oh my god, oh my gosh, hi. I'm like, oh god, Prentice. Yeah, because I guess they have familial connections or something. Well, then she uh, she worked for Prentice's mother, but we learned that later. So Reed and Garcia try to track down the kid. And Garcia talks about how he was probably lying about his age because that's what, you know, teenagers do. And Reed recalls what he dressed like and how he looked and remembers that he said Northwest High. And then they find him. He's at a different school and he's a sophomore and his name is Nathan Harris. I think it's actually fun how they figure this out, though, because they're because they're like, She's like, tell me about his, you know, the first rule is that kids always lie about their age to make themselves seem older. So they're like, okay, so he's probably a sophomore. And then she's like, what else about him stood out? And Reed is like, he had like perfectly tailored clothes, which means like he had money, which means he probably goes to a private school. So then they search like the private school closest to Northwestern and it's whatever school he goes to. And then they find him. So I thought that was really cool. They find him and his name is Nathan Harris. And now we see Harris in his room and he's writing more graphic shit on his computer and listening to rock music, you know, like teenagers do. And then Gideon, Gideon and Reed show up at the house and his mom is like, bro, what? So they go up to his room and Harris is like, I knew if you were really good, you'd find me. And they see that he's writing on the computer. He's like, oh, I'm writing for a graphic novel. And they're like, about killing prostitutes? Again, their language, not mine. And he's like, yeah, it's about Jack the Ripper. And the thing is, like, that does check out. 
Like it that I yeah, that makes sense. And then Morgan is like, this isn't a game, kid. Morgan always treats like have I've noticed this as a trend and even with the next episode that we just recorded but you know I'll let you in on a little secret anytime he talks to like young boys or like adolescent boys he's always like very hard on them like think about fucking um who's our favorite oh gosh think about Daryl Sabara in that episode where like Daryl Zabara was literally like a victim of abuse who was like a young boy abandoned and trying to like make ends meet, make ends meet. And Morgan was like, you don't know what you're doing, kid. Like he was just very hard on him. And I felt like he was super hard on Nathan in this episode, too. Yeah, I, I agree. So then Reed is like, OK, so you knew graphic details about a case that has been publicized. To which she says, to Anton Yelchin, uh, you know, um, Nathan Harris goes, I didn't kill her. I just really wanted to. Say it huskier, though. I, I didn't kill her. I just really wanted to. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I have a theater degree. All right. And then... Cut, and we now see Harris in custody being questioned. And he talks about how he saw the body of the sex worker that had help carved into her. And it was really early morning around K Street. And they, quote, they take men down there for sex. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like they do. Um, Which kind of just makes me laugh. Um, and then uh, how he, he sees this happen a lot and how he just sort of, quote, ends up there. I mean, I just feel like this episode was written by someone who's never had sex. That's just how I feel. There were a lot of virgins in this writing room. There was a lot of cocaine and a lot of virginity. Um, uh, criminal minds, please be associated with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so then harris's mom is like but he's a good boy he's really bright he just quote lives in his head more than other kids and i honestly same when i was a kid same um so we learned that his dad died when he was like nine years old i believe and he was um very close with his mom and his mom says that she treats him like a man because he always handled his responsibilities because she works several jobs and they were like, Oh, so he's on his own a lot. And she's like, yeah, but like, you know, he he's really responsible. So Nathan says that he thinks about killing the sex workers. So he saw, you know, he went to Reed's lecture and saw him at the Metro stop oftentimes and thought maybe he could help him. And Reed is like, how and harris says he's unsure but when he saw the body he felt quote excited and that really scared him so they request that harris go and have a juvenile psychological evaluation with parental consent and prentice asks if he's the unsub and morgan explains that harris says he didn't do it and he seems sincere but he's also very smart, and part of a sexual sadist profile is that they are able to mimic honesty and sincerity with a lot of ease. So it's hard to say. And Hotch is like, "I right, good night. We we should go to bed." 
Um, and then JJ's like, okay, um, shouldn't we get the word out to the papers? And he's like, no. And she's like, we can still make the morning papers. And he's like, again, he's like, I said no. So as we can see, he is under the thumb of a powerful woman. I fucking love you. That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> so <laughs> cut and we see a blonde woman sex worker and she's looking for little holly and she calls little holly's cell phone and she hears it ringing very loudly this must be a loud ass ringer because it's coming from an alley nearby so she goes to look and sees a body exactly as the others have been found chopped hair and now we have failure carved into her chest and I will say that, like, we, we did meet this woman and little Holly earlier. They're the ones that Prentice and Morgan talked to. Yes. And just shout out actress who plays little Holly because I am a plus-sized woman. And I was actually shocked to see a plus-sized woman, like, on this show at this time. Because you do not see that, like, that much. Um, so I was like, that's awesome. Holly's body's discovered, but what happens when Holly's body's discovered? Well, guys, after Holly's body is discovered, we learn that little Holly was actually only 16. Hotch says that the unsub is clearly getting angrier and blaming the police for his kills. You guys, we're splitting the episode in case you didn't realize. We're doing a little split Sharing and caring. Doing a little record scratch. <laughs> That was me trying to be do a record scratch. Okay, so we cut to Nathan's psych evaluation. And when we initially heard about this, like, I know in my mind, I was like, okay, so like someone outside of the BAU is going to handle this because what the fuck do they know about kids? But no, Gideon is going to handle it. Gideon is doing Anton Yelchin's psych evaluation, I guess. Gideon asks Nathan what worries him. And Nathan says that he's been, quote, thinking about stuff, meaning thinking about killing women. Nathan confides to Gideon that he hasn't hurt anyone yet, but he did kill a bird once, to which I wrote, no, not the birds. Please, no, not, not the, birds. the birds. And we're going to do this, this little scene because it's too good for us not to act out. Um, who would you like to be, Nathan or Gideon? Do you want me to be Nathan? Sure. I want to hear the rest. You got to do the rest. I'll try to do the voice. Let me get close to my mic. Okay. Have you ever seen a woman naked? Um, a few years ago at my mom's med school, her students get cadavers. So how'd that make you feel? Good. Excited. And sick perfectly natural for a boy to feel excited when he sees a naked body even a cadaver yeah but now that's the only part i think about which part them being dead so when you watch the prostitutes you don't imagine having sex with them no i think about cutting them why? I don't know. 
maybe to look inside or sometimes I think about feeling their blood on my hands and feeling it throat flow through my fingers. Does it ever make you climax just by thinking of that? I know I'm crazy. Did I say that? No, but what do you call pictures in your head that you can't make go away? <laughs> I love this episode. So anyways, <laughs> Gideon tells Nathan's mother that Nathan needs to be hospitalized, obviously. But Nathan's mother doesn't want to put her son in a hospital. She believes that because she is a doctor of nothing to do with we don't even, wait, do we know what kind of a doctor she they is? They might mention it in passing, but it's definitely not psychological. Yeah, it's definitely not. So she thinks that if they lock Nathan away, it's going to confirm Nathan's belief that he's a monster. And Gideon tells her that's not a good enough reason. Then he compares being a psychopath to being an alcoholic, which I'm a little offended by because that's shitty. I mean, he's basically, he's trying to say that Nathan can't help being a psychopath and just being out in the world and having this kind of access without having any sort of medical assistance. He, uh, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Nathan's mother says that she has access to all the best health services with her job and that she'll make sure that Nathan sees someone every day. So Nathan is not going to be hospitalized. Hotch takes his frustration on Congresswoman Styers out on Prentice. He calls Prentice into his office. He questions the conversation he saw Prentice having with Steyer. And Prentice says that she knows Steyer because Steyer used to work for her mother. Hotch asks Prentice if she has a political agenda and questions her motives for joining the team. Prentice tells him that because her mother is a politician, Prentice herself has no interest in being in politics because she thinks politics are evil. And then she excuses herself from the conversation. And I just think this whole thing was like super unprofessional. I don't know. I've been just feeling really anti-Hotch lately. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I just, I'm, I love I, him, but yeah. I mean, like I was all for him in season one, but between like the being shitty to his kid, I mean, like, shitty to his kid shitty to his wife the way he treats morgan in the next episode the way he treat he's treating emily now it's like he's the one with the political agenda also there have been multiple times where he mansplains jj's job to her yeah so uh, i'm just i'm i'm just feeling a little anti-hot right now guys not saying that's gonna the, be the way i feel forever just right now um we cut back to nathan's apartment Nathan's mother goes to check on her son and realizes that Nathan snuck out for the night. Murderers and psychopaths be collaging. They be arts and crafts and she uh, finds collages inside a porn magazine. You know how serial killers like to do that shit. Morgan and Reed go on the hunt for Nathan because Nathan is, um, what is he, Abby? Oh, he's on the lamb. <laughs> Reed feels responsible for letting Nathan out of his sight. Although, let's be fair, it was Nathan's mother whose fault this is. Um, and he says that he understands Nathan because, quote, 
I know what it's like to be afraid of your own mind. We have a cut and we see someone trying to pick up a lady. And I guess we're assuming that she is a sex worker. The BAU later get a call that her body has been found. Her hair hasn't been cut. No message has been carved, thankfully, actually, because that was horrific. Um, And she was killed by a knife and she was killed using the knife, which I guess is a different signature from the unsub. But I didn't get how that was. Yeah, I didn't understand that either. But they said it was different. So I guess the unsub was previously using the knife to like carve something out, but used a different method to kill the the victims. But I, I just don't know. So that's a little unclear. Yeah, unclear. Unclear. Yeah. Later, we learn that the team does not suspect Nathan, even though it seems like Nathan is the obvious choice because he's, uh, what was that again, Abby? On the lamb. Reed says that the kill seems like a, a devolution. I think that's how you say it. De-evolution as opposed to an evolution, um, which is what it would have been because it would have been Nathan's first kill. Gideon also says, quote, it was sloppy and angry. Nathan's smart and directed. He's used to achieving. If he decides to kill, it'll be clinical and efficient. Meanwhile, the D.C. cops find Nathan in a church. He states that he's been at the church for four hours, but there's no one to back up his alibi. Nathan says, quote, I've been sitting here and thinking the only way for me to save people's lives in the future is to kill myself. It's so sad. The BAU discusses the latest victim and how the unsub is clearly losing it. While the unsub did thankfully not carve a message into the last victim, dumping her body across the Capitol building, across from the Capitol building, three days before Congresswoman Steyer's big speech about how effective her anti-crime bill has been, is a statement within itself. JJ points out that Steyer's press conference actually has not been announced publicly. Only someone who has inside knowledge of the anti-crime bill would know that the speech is coming. That's true. That's true. The BAU suspects someone involved with an anti-crime group who lobbied for the bill is the unsub, which is a little bit of a stretch, but checks out. Hotch holds a press conference to tell everyone about the serial killer on Capitol Hill. He does this as a twofold effort to piss off Steyer and to let working girls know about the danger out there. Hotch then brings Steyer in to sit down and talk to local sex workers who have had encounters with an individual with the BAU suspected as an unsub. Steyer initially comes in really pissed off about everything, but she seems to calm down and agrees to meet with the workers them. The BAU wants the sex workers to describe the unsub to Steyer to see if Steyer can recognize someone um, from the description. Steyer first is super awful and asks Hotch why he's treating her to this sideshow. And the workers actually go off on her and tell her that many of the men she works with every day regularly treat themselves to sex work. And to her credit, Steyer does apologize. And I was like, that's some points for the episode because Time and time again, we see sex workers being treated with disrespect and we actually see an opportunity for them to be elegant and educated and express themselves and kind of slap back. So I like that. Steyer does identify the unsub and identifies him as, oh, you're going to have so many thoughts about this name. Ronald Weems. Awful. 
awful. Who runs, this is another one, Decency Watch. Cut to Ronald Weems. His wife, Linda Weems. Weems. His wife, Linda Weems, is sitting at home knitting and minding her own goddamn business. And Weems shows up and is just like, I have to go back to work. And she's like, why? It's late. I'm knitting. And he is super rude to her. Right after she leaves, the BAU shows up at the residence. The Weems residence. The Weems residence. Linda is ready to close the door in their face and literally does not bat an eye when the BAU shows up. She doesn't even ask why they're on her doorstep. She's just like, come back later. Gideon Stone Cold goes, quote, in the last six months, did your husband start asking you to play out his sexual fantasies? It's coming in hot like that. <laughs> and she's like, what? And Hotch is like, quote, when it finally stopped a month ago, you were relieved. So she's like, oh, shit. So she lets them into the house. They know that we had to be kinky. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, God, I just was trying to knit and have a pleasant night. And all of this shit happened. How how will I ever go back to my knitting now? Um, anyways, I guess that implies that Weems is abusive to her. Or at least aggressive. If, he, if she If they had a loving relationship and he wasn't abusive, if the FBI showed up, she probably would have been like, what the fuck? What, what is this about? But I think the way that she reacts to them showing up implies that he was abusive and that it was not consensual. Linda lets them into the house and allows them access to the Weems files. <laughs> the BAU finds lots of rambling essays by Weems. Manifesto, um, I guess. Yeah, it seems almost like what Anton Yelchin was writing. Weems is also writing. So... That was a little confusing. Um, I don't know why we had to have, but I mean, it seemed like Anton Yelchin had like collages going on. So I don't know why he also had to be writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the BAU goes back out on the streets trying to find Weems because he is, um, what? What was on the lamb? (laughs) They show everyone, not just sex workers, everyone on the streets, pictures of Weems trying to see if anyone has seen him or recognize him. But they keep missing him. It's actually funny because we see the BAU questioning people with a picture of Weems and then just Weems not noticing them just walks through the screen and you're like, oh, my God. Finally, Weems asks a curly haired sex worker to engage with him. And she was already talked to by the BAU. So she instantly recognizes him and blows a rape whistle And then Holly's friend maces him. And I was like, this is awesome. This is retribution. Back at headquarters, Nathan talks to Reed. He reveals that he and his mother have talked and that he's going to stay at a hospital starting tomorrow. But this is his last big night out of freedom. Later, we see that Nathan solicits a sex worker who I believe is named Crystal. I just, I don't even know how to say this. Criminal Minds is be like dying girl's hair. So I go on the IMDb page. I try to figure out who is who, but sometimes it's just too confusing. And they don't explicitly call her Crystal, but I believe it's Crystal. She's trying to like get him in the mood. And we, we have so much apprehension watching this because we know what's coming. Like this is what it's all been leading up to. This is the first time he's engaging with a sex worker. And he gets really upset because he's not getting aroused and he pulls a blade out on her. And you're like, oh my God, like after all of this, after everything Reed did for him, 
Like, he's supposed to go to the hospital tomorrow. This is so fucking tragic. Cut. They cut at the best moments in this episode. Back to BAU headquarters. And Reed is, like, ready to go home and, like, read a dictionary or whatever he does. But, but Garcia's like, night out on the town. And Reed's like, no, I'd rather, like, go home and, like, you know, like, pick lint out of my belly button or whatever. And she's like, no, we're going out. Uh, she just got a new convertible named Esther. Uh, which Amazing. is orange, gorgeous, vintage convertible. I couldn't figure out what brand it was, but as they're about to get into the convertible, Reed gets a call on his phone from Crystal, the sex worker, who tells him that Nathan tr- has tried to kill himself. Reed and Garcia race over and Esther the convertible, and the paramedics arrive just in time to save Nathan's life. I do think it's worth mentioning that they arrive there right before the paramedics and Reed does like, um, applies pressure. Yeah. 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 He applies pressure to his wrists and tries to stop the bleeding himself. So he, he is ending this episode with blood on his hands, like not in a, like, Oh, I killed away way, but like literally has this kid's blood on his hands. Reed grapples with the idea that by saving Nathan's life, he may have inadvertently hurt people. But Reed, baby, anything that any serial killer does is not on you. No. Gideon tells Reed that profiles can be wrong. And we, the viewer, know that supposedly Nathan's going to go get help. Yeah. And Reed says, quote, what if it's not? What if next time he kills somebody? And Gideon says, quote, then you'll catch him. Whoosh. Should we, um... Should we do some deep dives? Yeah. So I I did a deep dive on Anton Yelchin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. I'm just going to keep going with it, though. Um, I don't know if you are aware. And, like, when I first watched this episode, I was like, some crazy shit happened to him, and he died. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. So this, this is... It's true crime, but like a little bit different than what we normally cover. So, but I just wanted to share this because I just think this whole thing is outrageous. And so sad. So sad and outrageous. And like people have like forgotten about this. He died at the age of 27 when he was crushed to death by his own car outside his home in Los Angeles, which was on June 20th, 2016. Um, His car killed him when it rolled backwards down his steep driveway. The SUV was, it's a Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was being recalled because the gear shifters have confused drivers, causing the vehicles to roll away unexpectedly, which is what government records show. And there are lots of videos that you can watch and we'll link one that shows you like just how confusing these gear, like it wasn't, there was like, there's a little indicator that says it's in parking and like, just watch a video and you'll just be shocked by like how dumb this was that these shifters were used. A recall notice for the Jeep Grand Cherokee was actually mailed to him seven days after he was killed by his car. His parents filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the vehicle's manufacturer, Fiat Chrysler, as well as ZF North America, which manufactured the gear shift. Fiat Chrysler recalled more than 
800,000 vehicles in April. Oh my God. After receiving hundreds of rollaway complaints. And we'll get into those a little later. The shifter in the 2014 and 2015 Jeep Grand Cherokees operates like a joystick, returning to the same position no matter what gear the vehicle is in. Oh my God, no. Yes. Some drivers have become confused and exited the vehicle while it is still in gear, leading it to roll away. Oh my God. Imagine like coming home really late at night after like being at work or like being out somewhere and like you're a little drowsy and like you park your car. Oh my God. And literally, so it's like park revert and reverses like one, like just watch the videos because it's like a flick of the wrist difference. So if you're not looking down, you can't tell that you that it's not that it was in reverse. Like that's what happened. It was in reverse instead of park. And he went to go get the mail and checked that his gate was locked and he was killed by his car. So I've got a little timeline for you. So this is what the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration said um, in February of 2016. Quote. The monostable shifter is not intuitive and provides poor tactile and visual feedback to the driver, increasing the potential for unintended gear selection. The analysis identified 306 incidents of vehicle rollaway following intended shifts to park in the 2014-2015 Grand Cherokee. These resulted in 117 alleged crashes, 28 of the crashes record, reportedly caused injuries. So the car, the 2015 Grand Cherokee gets released in January. By February, there are already 306 incidents and they have not recalled it at this point. So Fiat Chrysler recalled more, as I said before, more than 800,000 vehicles in April after receiving hundreds of rollaway complaints. April, they said there is an issue and we're working on it. May, they said, bring your car into, you'll be able to bring your car into your local mechanic and they will apply the fix and the car will be okay. So they were adding like a safety mechanism that they did that would prevent the car from rolling if it was on an incline. This was May. Quote, the timing to develop the software updates required to remedy the situation have been accelerated. Uh, FCA now anticipates having the software updates required to remedy this above vehicles no, no later than July or August of 2016. So basically, they know that all these people, they know that 800,000 vehicles, 800,000 people out there with these vehicles have this problem that is a known problem, and they do not have a fix yet, and they, don't, they won't have a fix for at least two to three more months, and they're just sending out letters to people. So the notice finally, as I said before, did get there in June, seven days after uh, Anton was killed. And it advised that Chrysler dealers would update the gear shifter to add an auto park feature. As of late June, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, they were aware of some 700 complaints regarding the issue including 266 crashes and 68 injuries, but the only death was Anton's. <sighs> it's just awful. They just didn't, they didn't act in time. If this was a concern in February, 
why was nothing done? Why, if you knew, like just telling people we're working on it is not an acceptable fix. So we're going to link the foundation, the Anton Yelchin Foundation. Um, and I'm just reading from their website. Founded in 2017, the Anton Yelchin Foundation's mission is to empower and support young people engaged in creative arts who face career challenges due to debilitating disease or disability. Our primary work involves three areas, awarding financial grants to eligible applicants in need, raising awareness about young artists with debilitating disease or disability, and bringing the work of these young artists to a wider audience. And you can apply for a grant right on there. And this is, uh, his parents are involved. So if you're feeling it, like I'm feeling it for this guy, definitely see if you can donate you know, in his memory, that would be a nice thing to do. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> it's us. Uh, <laughs> uh, like a week later, I think. Yeah, Maybe over yeah. a week. Yeah. Eight days later. Because <laughs> we forgot to rate this fucking episode. <laughs> so we are recording again, and we have to rate this episode. We just got really <laughs> caught up in Anton, so... Yeah, we did. Um, so, hey, Abby, what do you, what do you think about the criminal slash serial killer? Uh, um, you know, I got to give him props for being, you know, the most flashy, dramatic uh, murderer there is by, you know, carving words into these women's chests. Um I don't know. It's hard because we don't really find out who he is until the absolute end. It's like this episode is not really about him. Yeah. And I don't like the way he treats his wife. Yeah. No. <laughs> I thought that was shitty. And like, I, I don't know. I feel like there was probably a better way to advocate and, and let people know that there's crime going on than to like murder sex workers uh, because he's the head of a anti-crime group it's been a week guys <laughs> seems a little hypocritical yeah one say. i don't know because it's like well i i would seven yeah sure let's do seven all right character development and character arcs i think this should get a higher score yeah because we got to see reed really struggling with this situation really and also like kind of see like a little bit kind of like how he was as a teenager um, totally. 15? Yeah. Forensics and context. Wattpad ass, like, writing that both oh, Anton yes. and Monsum do. Yes, you that remember part. this <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, it just seemed ridiculous that Anton was collaging and using Wattpad. You know, he's a Wattpad writer. He's an arts and crafts queen. Yeah, he's <laughs> listening to music. I mean, it's a little goofy, but I was like down, you know? Yeah, I really liked the scene when Gideon and Anton were talking and they were going back and forth and Gideon was like just trying to like find out what his mindset was. Because this is the first time we're seeing someone who is not a full-blown serial killer and like hearing about the process of him like trying to not be a full-blown serial killer. But I thought the forensics of the main unsub was just stupid. <laughs> Do you want to give it like a 10? Yeah, we could give it a 10. Script writing. 
Um, I really liked the scene with Gideon and Nathan. I really liked that. I, yeah, I, I like that they actually like gave the sex workers an opportunity to speak for themselves. Yes, I forgot about that. It's been a week, guys. Literally, <laughs> we forgot to. This is why we can't do this. We have to immediately rate it because yeah. I'm like, oh, good thing we watched it more than once. <laughs> yes, I did. I watched it. I think two and a half times, and yet it's completely gone because I just watched the three episodes we're recording today each twice. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm just a fucking shot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, okay. I think it should get a good score on script writing. I like this episode. Do you want to give it like 17? Yeah. All right, background characters. 20. Yeah, I was going to say I was obsessed with the characters in this episode. Um, All right, so that's 7 plus 15 plus 10 plus 17 plus 20. No, is this only a 69? Yeah. We could give it some more points somewhere. I guess we could give more forensics and context. Give it, yeah. Like, yeah. Give it like a 15. Yeah. All right. So 74. Yeah, 74. That seems better. Okay. Okay. Well, guys, I hope this wasn't completely jarring. I know. <laughs> but uh, anyways, we'll see you back in the past. <laughs> Follow us at Unsubs Podcast everywhere you get your social media. Um, yeah. Give us a five-star review. We have, a we have, we have merch. We have merch. We have merch. Check out our merch. Um, and you can follow me, um, yournewapartment.tumblr.com, or if you need something to listen to, my podcast is out there. You know, I don't do it yeah, and if you want to, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, Between Station Screen Podcast, and you can also listen to that podcast as well, which is Between Station Screen Podcast, and you can find that on all streaming services. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Bye. Bye.